up on Facebook Marketplace, sold it like in 24 hours or something like that, and got, didn't, I got pretty much what I was hoping to get for it. The last thing that I did, as you know, when you sell a vehicle, if you've ever had that experience, or if you've purchased one, you've had it the opposite way, but when you sell a vehicle, in North Dakota anyways, it's a pink piece of paper, mostly, and as the seller, you sign your name on it and the date, and you hand that over to the new owner. They fill their information on it, the selling, agreed upon selling price, and then they can go take that and get a new title. That's the title. Had my name on it. It's getting transferred to a new owner. That's the last thing that I did. And while I was a little reluctant, I was pretty happy to have that over with a couple weeks ago. Here's my sermon in a sentence this morning, friends. The choice to surrender full ownership of your life may feel like a significant loss, but it will open the door to incomparable abundance. The choice to surrender full ownership of your life to Jesus may feel like a significant loss, but it will open the door to incomparable abundance. Now, I was a little reluctant to sell the Suburban for kind of some stupid reasons. It's a guy vehicle in my mind, and a minivan isn't. And so I'd rather drive the Suburban in general than the minivan. I also thought you can haul stuff with the Suburban, and even though there's a hitch on the minivan, it just doesn't look as cool to haul something with a minivan as it does with the Suburban. Not that we ever did much of either. So I don't really have good reasons for being reluctant to transfer the title of that to somebody else. But I think there's a little bit of comparison to our lives in that sometimes our reasons for holding on to our life or parts of our lives, when we really step back and look at it, they don't really make sense either. And that reluctance to sign over ownership to Jesus is natural. Actually, I would say it's a default. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Uh, one of the verses that Russ mentioned in the children's sermon. Here's what it says. I'll read it, and then I'll slow down and walk through it again slowly. Then Jesus said this to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it, will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Some translations say soul. Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Friends, here's what's going to happen if you invite Jesus into your life. When Jesus moves in. In verse 24, we read this, then Jesus said to his disciples, disciples means follower. So he was saying this to those who were already following Jesus, who had trusted Jesus. You could say had invited Jesus into their life already, but he said this to those followers. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, and the first truth that we're going to find in this passage is this, when Jesus moves in, my choices are still mine. He doesn't take over. Uh, He doesn't make us do anything anymore just because we've invited him into our lives. We still have our own personhood, our own choices. 
So that's why Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, even though they were followers already, let him do this, these things. You can choose to follow Jesus or not now and for the rest of your life. Every day, every hour is a choice. You and I have choices. And when you're following Jesus, when, you, when Jesus moves into your life, you still have choices. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, said it this way in Romans 12 after spending 11 chapters describing how you and I can know Christ, can have a saving relationship with him that changes everything. After spending 11 chapters about that, talking about that, he says this in Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, which he's just spent 11 chapters talking about, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I want you to notice the language of choice in that verse. I urge you. There's a choice. I urge you. You don't have to do it. Paul's urging the Christians in Rome to do this. He says to present your bodies. That is something that you do or you don't have to do. You don't have to give a present, right? You choose to give a present. It's the same word. Not the, it's the same, that's the noun, verb of this noun version of the same word. Present is to offer, to give as a living sacrifice. It wouldn't be a sacrifice if it weren't willingly offered. It would be a demand. Choice. Your true worship. Again, it's your choice to worship God in this way by offering him your life. Have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss or heard of it? Um, I watched an episode uh, about the CEO of the Great Wolf Lodge. It, it does, the Great Wolf Lodge is an awesome place. Apparently, I've never been there in Minneapolis, but it's not just there. They actually, uh, it's an organization that has Great Wolf Lodges all over the country, different places. And the way that Undercover you don't know is that the CEO or the owner of a company gets a disguise and a story the reason why there's video cameras going to follow them around, this one was a, the, the story that the employees of the Great Wolf Lodge were told was that uh, this woman was going to be in a reality TV show about stay-at-home moms going back to work. So that's what they were told, and so then she had to learn some jobs from employees, like the front desk at one of the lodges and a lifeguard in the couple other places that she did. I think she was a server somewhere. I won't tell the whole story. You can watch it. But here's the story. It's the same story in every episode. And the point is really in the end this. You could summarize it. Undercover boss, ownership matters. What happens in every episode of Undercover Boss, now I haven't watched them all, but you don't need to watch them all to know what's going to happen in every episode, is that the people who are working on the ground actually know problems that need to get solved and probably have good ideas about solutions that will actually help the company function better. They actually know how to fix things that can... Any of you in this situation, by the way, you know stuff in your job that if you could change it, it would make everything go better, at least in your department or your area. But here's the problem with you and with these employees is you don't have the power to make those changes. The person who does is the owner. The CEO for sure has power to make those changes, and that's what happened in this episode and every episode is the boss gets in touch with those on the ground and uses their power of ownership to make real changes 
that actually help the company go forward. And usually there is, you know, tears involved as the boss also is touched by the real-life stories of these employees and gives some special perks and bonuses and gifts to help those people's lives get better. But the real point I'm trying to make is that ownership matters. You can know the problem that's going on in your life. You can know what needs to get fixed. But the point this morning is that if Jesus isn't the owner, you are going to have a lot less power to make those changes than if you sign your life over to him. Here's what the rest of the verse says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here's the second truth. When Jesus moves in, first of all, my choices are still my choices, but secondly, my life will be disrupted if I'm really going to follow Jesus. Some things are going to be asked or required of me that isn't exactly what I was planning on, and the choice will be mine whether I'm going to do it or not. And if you choose to follow Jesus, disruption is inevitable. Let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. It's sort of like that example that if you want to take up your cross, you're going to have to put some things down in order to do that. And that means letting go of things you might prefer not to let go of in order to follow Jesus. In Jesus' day, the Greek word for disciple or follower is mathetes. Kind of sounds like Matthew. I'm guessing there might be a root connection to that word name. The Hebrew equivalent to that is Talmud. Talmud was the student. Rabbi was the teacher, except it wasn't like you and I think about it. It wasn't just learning about stuff, gaining information, or getting a degree. What a Talmud did for a a Jewish Talmud for a rabbi did was to give up their life to be like the teacher. It wasn't just to gain information like you and I do, like I did when I got my degree at UND. I paid money. I wanted to get information. I wanted a degree to help me get a job. That wasn't what a Talmud and a rabbi did. That was a different arrangement. The goal for a student, in this case, a disciple, a Talmud, it's all the same word, different ways to say the same thing, is not just to know what the rabbi knows, what the teacher knows. It's to be like the rabbi. And in order to do that, what Talmuds did in Jesus' day, it's what the 12 disciples did, and they weren't, Jesus wasn't the only rabbi that had followers like this. They literally gave their life up to literally be with, physically, their teacher all the time until they, their teacher thought they became enough like them to do it on their own. Friends, if you and I really want Jesus to be at home in our heart, in our life, it will require us to give up some stuff. It, 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 you, it can't be done without some sacrifice. You can't hold on to all of your priorities, all of your desires, all of your dreams, and also deny yourself and follow Jesus. Now, that's not to say that God hasn't given you good priorities or given you good dreams. Oftentimes, he wants to breathe new life into them, But that doesn't happen even until you offer them to him, and then he maybe offers it back to you. Paul said this. He lived this out. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see that? 
It's not me. I've denied myself. Jesus is living in me and through me now. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul got it. Paul got it. Verse 25, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples this, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus shifts gear, I think, in this passage. Do you guys have financial advisor? Anybody have a financial? I have a financial advisor. Try to like save a little bit of money so that my kids don't have to support me until I die. Hopefully. <clears throat> um, I, I, and my advisor gives me advice about investment options. Jesus is doing that now. He's going to shift gears and he's going to say, let me give you some life investment advice. He says, whoever saves his life will lose it. If you try to hold on to it. But if you lose it for me, you'll actually find it. Now, that doesn't make sense. It's actually a paradox. It's a paradox statement. Lose something and find it. Find something and lose it. It's the opposite. What is he talking about here? Here's uh, what Jesus is actually doing. First of all, if you let Jesus move in, if you invite him to move in, your choices do stay yours. You still have your choices. Secondly, your, but your life will be disrupted if you decide to let Jesus to move into your life. But thirdly, when you let Jesus move in, your investment options are expanded. You don't, your only option isn't anymore just to save whatever you can for yourself before you die. Jesus actually says, I actually have some better options that will give you a lot better return for your life if you'll let me. Now, it might sound nonsensical, but here's his advice in verse 26, guys. Uh, I would write this down. Um, this is worth remembering. Jesus says this. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? What if I save so much stuff that I, I literally have the whole world, but my life is gone at the end? Nothing. You have nothing. That's the answer. It's easy. Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? If you were in that situation, you got the whole world, but you had the option of either keeping the world and dying or giving the world up and living, you'd give anything up for it. What Jesus' point is this. Losing your life for Jesus, here's what you should write down. It's logical if you see it the right way. It is logical. It's the only way to save your life. It's logical to give your life up in order that you might gain it. And here's Jesus' second point. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Verse 27, he's going to come back and reward those to... For what they've done, I would say it this way. Jesus says, losing your life for me is logical, and secondly, it's lucrative. It is a better investment strategy than anything you or I could come up with. He's going to reward those who live their lives the way he intends them to. And that's going to be something that lasts forever. It's an eternal return on investment. Friends, you and I have a choice. We, we maintain our choices the rest of our lives, and we have a choice when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, to say, I realize I've messed my life up, and in, on God, the scale of justice, when you, when you see things through the lens of the Bible and God's Word, you realize that even though I've done some good things, when it says that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. It doesn't really matter how much good I do. I can't actually outweigh the eternal consequences of my bad. 
and I need Jesus to save me from that, you might choose that, and then you can decide to set up a contract if you want. Jesus, thanks for saving me. I appreciate you doing that, and I will now live my life however I want. Probably you're not really getting his offer. It's probably the the safest bet is that you probably are misunderstanding what Jesus is saying here. Because if you really understand what Jesus is saying in this passage right here, he's saying actually the terms are supposed to be this way. You turn your life over to me. I give you my life in exchange. And that's a transfer of ownership. I transfer ownership of my life. I sign the title over. Jesus, I am yours. I believe what you say. I do what you, say, you, you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. You know what the first Christians were called before they were called Christians? They were called followers of the way. You know why they were called that? It's not because they were Mandalorian fans. This is the way. Because Jesus called himself the way. And they were followers of Jesus followers of the way. They were tell me they were disciples. They'd given their lives up to follow him. I two questions for you today. We're going to share communion and what communion represents this morning. It represents the opportunity to have Jesus' life in, a, in ours. Jesus offered his life on a cross, which is why a cross is so significant. It's a symbol of torture and death. It's really what it is. And Jesus was tortured and he died on it so that you and I wouldn't have to, not just physically, but also forever, eternally be separated from God. He experienced that so we wouldn't have to. And so my first question is, um, will you invite Jesus into your life? Not as a guest, not because you're interested in him, not because you're curious about him, not because you sort of like him or you want him for a temporary roommate or you think you can help him clean a certain part of your life out. That's good to do. But really what I'm asking is, will you invite him as a permanent resident? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, here's how you do it. If you openly declare that Jesus is your Lord or leader and believe in your heart, heart, you know, usually we think believe in our minds. It's, this is believe in your heart. That's because it has more than intellectual, an intellectual belief. It's a belief of conviction that says, I believe so strongly, I'll stake my life on this. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Openly saying, Jesus, I embrace you by faith. I joyfully trust you to be my Savior King. Another word for that is Messiah. You're mine. You're mine. I trust you alone. And that's what we remember when we share communion is that Jesus bled. That's what the, the, the grape juice represents. And he died. The bread represents his broken body so that we could have that opportunity. Here's the second choice you can make. Will you transfer ownership of your life to Jesus? Or maybe you need to retransfer it. Because like Romans 12.1 says, you and I, we have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means we're still alive. That means you and I, can crawl off the altar whenever we want. We still have the choice to live on our own terms or as a sacrifice to God. To say to Jesus, you're the owner, I'm the steward. You're the master, I'm the servant. You're the teacher, I'm the student. You're the leader, I'm the follower. You're the king, I'm your subject. You're the vine, I'm the branch. You're the shepherd, I'm the sheep. You are the way. 
I am a follower. You can make that decision today. Friends, the choice to surrender full ownership of your life to Jesus may feel like significant loss. You might be reluctant to do it like I was reluctant to sell my Suburban. But I'll tell you what, if you choose to do it, you'll find abundance you can't find anywhere else. You'll find peace you can't find anywhere else. You'll find relief from the pressure to try to manage your life better than you'll find it anywhere else. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come up here and invite and join in communion. If you want to make one of those choices, those decisions to invite Jesus into your life or to transfer ownership of your whole life to him, you can do that while we pray. If you did that for the first time, your first act of a follower of Jesus could be to remember him as he told us to remember him by sharing in communion with us. You don't have to be a member here of our church to share communion. You just have to be a member of those people who trust in Jesus to save them from the consequences, the shame of their sin. So I'll pray um, after we share communion. You can come on up by row. Uh, I'll come up and uh, offer another prayer, and then we'll sing a song that will actually be a response we can make to the message from God's Word today. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for being a good master. Thanks for being a good teacher. You want what's best for us. Following you is really the way to freedom in life. Allowing you to manage our lives as the owner is the best way to live. It's scary. Uh, I find myself reluctant, backing away at times from turning my life fully over to you. But today I choose to transfer full ownership, any part of my life that I'm holding back, Jesus, it's yours. There's someone here who's never invited Jesus into their life. You can say, Jesus, I invite you in today, not just as someone I'm interested in, but as someone who I know can be my leader and my Savior, and I trust you today to do that for me, what I can't do for myself. Lord, we remember you today, your broken body, the blood that you shed as we share communion. Thanks for doing that for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
Uh, this whole series, the little booklet, was a sermon given many years ago, 50 years, 70 years ago. And after going through all the rooms in the house, in, the, in imagination, in a, like a dream almost, this is, what, uh, this is what transferring the title looks like. Then a thought came to me. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clean and available for Christ, but it is hard work. I start one room, and no sooner have I cleaned it than I discover another room is dirty. I don't know if you feel that way at sometimes with your life. I do. I begin on the second room, and the first one's already dusty again. I'm getting tired of trying to maintain a clean heart and obedient life. I am just not up to it. Suddenly, I asked, Lord, is there a possibility you would be willing to manage the whole house and operate it for me just as you did the closet? The hall closet, remember that last week? The dirty, smelly, stinky, death-ridden closet that Jesus cleaned up? Could I give to you the responsibility of keeping my heart what it ought to be and myself doing what I ought to be doing? I could see his face light up as he replied, I'd love to. This is exactly what I came to do. You can't live out the Christian life in your own strength. That's impossible. Let me do it for you and through you. That's the only way it'll really work. But, he added slowly, I'm not the owner of this house. Remember, I'm here as your guest. I have no authority to take charge since the property isn't mine. In a flash, it became clear. Excitedly, I exclaimed, Lord, you've been my guest, and I've been trying to play the host from now on. You are going to be the owner and master of the house. I'm going to be a servant. And a guest. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, its condition, location, situation. Then rushing back to him, I eagerly signed it over to him. Dropping to my knees, I presented it to him. Here it is, all that I am and all that I have forever. Now you run the house, let me stay with you as a houseboy and friend. He took my life that day, and I can give you my word, there is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it. He knows how to use it. And a deep peace settled down on my soul that has remained. I am his, and he is mine forever. May Christ settle down and be at home as Lord of your life also. Guys, we have we have the opportunity to say, I think I have what it takes to manage my life. I got enough wisdom, enough strength, enough moral purity, enough spiritual maturity. Or we can say, you know what, creator of the universe, the one who's limitless and all-powerful and knows better, maybe you could do a better job, maybe, of managing my life than I could. Ooh. Want to catch that, Kent? So we're going to sing this song. It's called I Surrender. And it's a song you can sing in response to what you've heard today and to just declare to Jesus, I surrender it all to you. Why don't you stand and we'll close with this song.